Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. My name's Indy. That gentleman next to me is Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting. And welcome to Indie Game Business. And we've got Chris White from Green Man Gaming. We're going to talk about how to make a perfect pitch for your indie game. I hope everybody missed me last week when I was gone in Orlando in the 65-degree weather. So, But I'm back in the 51-degree weather. You know, if, if you keep doing it, Pebs is going to you know totally replace you because they might like her better. And then you're going to be completely out she, out in the cold she can't grow up with girl beard that's true that's true well chris welcome to the podcast um we're, like. we're covering all the weather spectrums is it still snowing where i am and dan's in florida and you're like in the middle in in the gray i'm assuming in britain uh well yeah we're we've got a tiny bit of frost on the ground this morning which meant all of britain shut down so yeah other other than fair uh we don't know how to handle it when it gets too hot too cold <laughs> too wet too dry um public transport just shuts down uh everybody decides they should sit indoors and quite frankly it's you know it's like we, being we absolutely cannot run these trains because they might slide off the rails with the frost that's the um that's yes. the mentality 100%. I, where, where i grew up it was the same way it's all good so let's start where we love starting. Tell us how you originally got into games and then walk us through your career up to this point. Sure. Yeah, I got into games. Uh, actually, it was my dad who got me into games. Uh, he randomly one day came home with Inez and uh, and Duck Hunt with the, with a the light gun. And that, that was it. I mean, I mean, it was from there we just kept going and going and going and uh he would turn up every now and then with a new nes game and then it was the the snes and and then the, the mega drive and stuff and um and he really started it for me uh and it was a very sociable thing it was always down in the front room and then it wasn't until i got my n64 on christmas i was about 12 i think 12 13 with lilac wars or star star fox 64 for american uh audiences um that was that was my console and that was sort of up in my bedroom and that was the first time i was allowed to to have my own console uh and that was that was sort of it for me i was i was i was hooked from then so that was uh yeah that that was that was how things started for me and uh and that was how they've they've really continued um that that sort of kicked off the love for me so the n64 is is always had a, a very special place for me and always will do i think 
So that just makes me feel old because we were in college <laughs> playing N64. <laughs> Sorry, it was absolutely a slight. It was, it was, it was, it was quite shade. It was. I was just throwing some darts at you. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm used to it at this point. So, how did you get your first job in the industry? I talked my way into the industry by accident. Uh, so I was at university, I was studying uh, film studies and journalism. I was really interested in creative writing. And in the last year of university, they, uh, my journalism degree had a public relations course, a module. And I thought that just, that just sounds really cool. You know, it's very glass half full. Um, it's really interesting. It's very strategic. Uh, I, I really, you know, well, I'm just going to take it as a bit of a fun module and I'm going to have a bit of a good time doing it. Uh, and that was really, that was the, the beginning of the end for me. Um, I just, I loved every second of it. I, I got more and more invested. Uh, the year was dwindling down. I was, I was finished, I think just after I submitted my dissertation and I was effectively done with university, I turned on my Xbox, thought I'll, I'll treat myself. I'll, I'll sort of play a little bit of Xbox and, um, and Xbox was having this, uh, this talk about how to get into the games industry and what are the various disciplines and you know who are the kind of movers and shakers in in the uk scene um and it was um dan mayer and andy farrant at the time doing um i think it was called inside xbox and uh it was it was a, it was a really good series and i just happened to turn the, the xbox on at the time when someone was giving a talk from capcom about public relations in the games industry and i just was hooked and i thought you know what i've i love PR, I love gaming. I've never really thought about trying to make a career doing anything in the games industry. Uh, and this was this was quite a while back. And I just I reached out to the guy. Um, he was the UK PR manager uh, at Capcom at the time. His name was Leo. He's a very, very lovely guy. And we just we got talking and he said, you know, just 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 come to this event, just come to this UK event, help us out, have a bit of fun, see what you think and if you like it. And from there, we, we sort of struck up a friendship. I did some more events for them. I eventually talked my way into a, a, an internship somehow. Um, yeah, they already had an intern, so I was the second intern. So they, I talked my way into an, a position that didn't exist. Uh, and then from there, I, I made some contacts and I just, I kind of got my first paid job elsewhere. Uh, and and I've, I've, I've never stopped. I mean, I did a small stint in the film industry um, at one point, but yeah, it's been, uh, 2009 was when I first started and then 2010 was my first full-time uh, paid gig and uh, I haven't stopped since. So what spurred you to move from the PR side to the BD side? I mean, obviously uh, if you could talk your way into a job that doesn't exist. You've got some inherent <laughs> skill there. So there's loads of trends. I mean, in the same way that people talk about um, influencers and content creators, uh, you know, if you're big on YouTube and Twitch, making very, very good social and community managers, um, there's actually a lot of crossover between business development and public relations. So in PR, you're given a project it's like hey here's a game and we're gonna it's it's here's the game here's here's all the details about it here's when it's going to come out you know build a strategy for it right how are we going to talk to people on mass are we going to talk to gamers how are we going to talk to non-gamers and then uh sort of establish fans of the the ip if it's if it, if it is one and stuff um and how are we going to draw people in and sell the game and you get really really good at very quickly looking at a game being able to distill it down into its most unique and most saleable points right it's usps and being able to, to to kind of craft a story behind it and um once you get really good at that that's a, a 
a skill, at least I think, for for BDs, right? So we see hundreds of games a week, sometimes thousands of games, uh, if there's something big happening. Um, you know, you'll go to to Gamescom, and in the process of of leading up to Gamescom, for instance, you know, you're sitting and you're looking at meet to match. Uh, people are reaching out to you through your email. You might get upwards of five, six hundred invites to to connect and meet developers. So you have to be able to look at that game very, very quickly and say, is there a hook? Is there a, a, a sellable thing? Like what's 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 the point of it? Am I going to be able to take that game to sign it and then to make money off it and to, to create an audience, a lasting audience? And um, I think there's loads of crossover between those two. Um, and I do know some other people who've moved from BD into LPR into into BD. And um, and then you've also got to be able to, the other half of it is the, the, the sort of the personal side. So, it's not just how would you sell a game, it's how do you convince the person who's making the game to, to work with you? And that's a real journey of, I mean, you can just try loads of money at this situation, uh, that helps a lot of the time, but um, being able to, to make someone trust you and to uh, relate to them and to engage with them and to kind of really hear what they need and uh, reflect that back at them and say, look, yes, I, I do hear you and I, I am the best person for this. My label is the best team for this. You maybe you have another offer, but you know my job is to make people like me and like the the, the company and stuff. Um, and it it really helps, I think, to have a, a background in uh, another discipline where it was all about being engaging and being personable and and kind of striking up a relationship long term. So there's a lot of authenticity and, and loads of transferable skills. Um, so so that's sort of why I, it, it felt like a natural move. It came about by sort of by accident. So at the time, um, I was running my own consultancy. Uh, I had I had been I'd worked uh, agency side. I'd worked in house. Um, I'd done PR for big games, small games publishers developers uh and i had just decided at this stage in my life i kind of want to try a different approach to pr and i started a consultancy uh called minmax pr at the time um, and i i said it's going to do pr but in a slightly different way and uh, i ended up working for a bunch of clients and one of them was frontier developments in in cambridge a uh, wonderful team great people and towards the end of the 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 contract where they needed me they said do you want to stay like we really liked working with you we've had a great time and i said yeah like i've had a i've had a wonderful time um and i've been working a little bit on their frontier foundry label their, their third-party publishing label which was was quite new at the time and i said you know you've got i've helped you on board a new pr team things are going really well for you would you be interested in just helping or, or letting me help you with the the, the bd stuff because i've got a background in in um, working with indies and i've done a lot of this stuff very early on in my career and and yeah they 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 just decided to take a big punt and say yeah yeah we'll 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 let someone who's not done bd before join the bd team uh and and you can kind of help us and i did that for a, a while we signed a couple of games we we had a brilliant time and uh I had the opportunity then to to join Greenman, and they were looking for someone to to come in and take the the label from uh, sort of a, it was a, a very much a small finishing fund, late stage investments, uh, smaller deals on smaller titles, and they decided they wanted to to take a big swing and kind of move to the next stage, bigger investments, bigger games, and um, 
and I thought I'll really miss PR. I, I love it. It's glass half full. It's lots of fun, but I kind of want to try something a bit different. And uh, and and yeah, I I joined Green Man. They were crazy enough to take me on, uh, and that's been almost two years now. So that's sort of the 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 journey. And it is always interesting to see how people get to where they are, because I mean you're right. There is a huge correlation between you know the PR and the marketing. I mean I've told people in the past it's really a lot of the same skill set. It's just depending on who you're aiming it at. You know, when yep. you're doing PR, a lot of times you're aiming at consumers. You're doing BD, you're aiming it more at the business side, you know, the B2B end, but it's a lot of the same stuff that goes into it. And yeah, yes, I mean I think that's that's a fantastic transition, you know, in there. So how so how are you still enjoying the BD side of it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Every 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 day. Um my boss and I, we are, I'm, I'm quite fortunate to have a, a boss I actually really like and really respect and we have a great time. Um, he's been really supportive and we have, we have fun. I, I've, I, I say to everyone when we, we sort of do these pitch meetings, so someone will come in and, and we'll have a chat and they'll say, oh, I've got a pitch deck and, you know, we'll sort of, we'll have a, a Skype call, or whatever, and we'll, we'll be chatting it through. And they're trying to be all business, business and kind of very professional. And my boss and I were sitting there, we're just like telling jokes and mucking around and, and laugh. It's very, very informal. And we're, we're quite silly um, because you have to like the people you work with. So we, we're quite relaxed in the way that we sort of approach our, our pitches and our general kind of relationships. And it does, it kind of pays off quite well. We have a bit of a relationship, uh, reputation for, for being um, uh, quite silly and quite laid back. But, you know, when we need to work, we, we work. But it's, um, it's good. I can laugh at my job every day. And, um, you know, I think that that puts a lot of, especially first-time developers who are very nervous and sometimes, are, as we're going to talk about today, about how to craft a pitch and how to deliver a pitch. I see a lot of people very, like, you know, deer in the headlights. Um, and it's like, you know, you might be pitching for the money to to chase your dream and that's nerve wracking. But also you're just you're just talking to another person, to another human being. So like act, think of it like you're down the pub having a drink and just 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 tell me something cool. And um, we're quite relaxed about the way that we approach it because it puts other people on that sort of same wavelength. So I think it's just it's just a good way to to, to, to sort of approach things personally. And because many times, you know, folks like you and I are sitting at these conferences and we're seeing fucking hundred different pitches over the course of, of five days. If you come in and you're very just robotic and serious and to the point, you're not going to stand out. You're not going to, yeah. you know, are we going to remember you at the end of the week? And people will laugh and go, why wouldn't you remember? Because you literally don't remember everybody that you meet with when you're, yeah. it's like we're gearing up for GDC right now. It's like I had a headache yesterday and I'm pretty sure it's because somebody said GDC, but it's like. <laughs> tension headaches are real. Tension headaches are real. Yeah. Yes. Anyone who's, if you've not been to anyone, if you've not been to like a, anyone watching, if you've not been to an E3 or a GDC or a Gamescom or something, and, and you mentioned those words to someone who has been to a lot of them and you see their eyes start twitching yes you've caused a tension headache it's Don't a very, it's a very real thing yeah yeah yep. very thing. but we, we, we say uh, people do business with people so mm -hmm. um you can you can have all the money in the world and you can have lots of resource but if you sit down in a pitch and it's you know well we'll sign your game and we'll give it you know 200 man hours and we'll you know 70 30 and 50 50 and whatever and you start sort of throwing numbers in it's just it's very matter of fact then then really 
there's a huge amount that you lose there. The people who are giving you their games, even if you're giving them a big sack of money back, they're still giving you their hopes and their dreams and their ambitions, right? This is their career. And um, we always say people do business with people, not with other exactly. businesses, right? So it's, it's very personal. You have to put your trust in someone. So when you sign it, if you sign your game with me, yes, I'm going to give you money and hopefully a lot more down the line, but you know you have to trust that I'm going to take that game on and I'm going to to pay you when I say I'm going to pay you and my team that I vouch for is going to deliver the results that I promise to you and my producer is going to get the game up on all your store pages uh, on on all your store pages and all your age ratings and your submissions and everything's going to be done on time like you have to trust that person and that's why that relationship and the kind of the process of it is is and dealing with people is so important and getting a good vibe from the person you're working with really really important all right so we are sitting on the cusp of dice and then our own indie game business event that's happening the 20th and the 21st of february and then you know hot on the heels of that is gdc everybody's starting to get ready folks listening and watching i know you have questions because these are like the most frequently asked questions that we get on the show so if you do pop them in chat we'll get them up here and we'll get chris to answer them what is the first thing that developers need to keep in mind prepare for get ready when they start building these pitch decks there's two parts really so there's the sell and then there's the business so uh the the sell uh if you ever heard of the the, the elevator pitch it's distilling your product or your service or anything that you're trying to, to communicate down into like 14 seconds or less you have to be able to sell yourself and everything you want or your your goals and you have to be able to do that in in, in one really good short sharp delivery and then there's the other side of it which is you have to to the, the business side of it right you have to know what it is you're asking for what it is you're expecting and you have to know your kind of your line in the sand of of how much money do you need to make it? What timeline do you need to make it and stuff? So when you're putting together a pitch deck, you don't have 500 pages to present this. You don't have four hours of the person who's reading, the, the person who's reading it, when I'm reading a pitch deck, I, 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 I can't put aside an hour to read your pitch deck. You've got a very small window to get my attention, to explain everything to me, and then to get me on board. So it's like uh, it's like the the very traditional marketing funnel as we were talking about those transferable skills, right? So it's engage, educate, excite. So at the start, you you educate someone, you you talk to a very hardcore contingent, and then you educate them later on, and you kind of broaden out, and then later on you excite and you talk to a bigger mass market audience. When you're trying to draw someone like me in, you have a very short window of time. You have to use your strongest assets. You have to be concise. You have to understand your USPs. You have to deliver that in a, a short and well-presented pitch deck. And then you have to draw me in and hope that I will move to the next stage, which is wanting to engage with you and see more materials and play the game and stuff. But the, the most important part is at the beginning, strongest foot first, brevity, strength, and then your business side you've got to kind of the, the, the your commercial acumen has to doesn't have to be brilliant but you have to kind of know the 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 fundamentals and once you've got those two things and you understand how to to get that stuff across really quickly that's 90 percent of the hard work done that's 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 a lot of it right there all right so 
you touched on a point when you're when you're getting that pitch deck, the first part of the pitch deck. Is there an ideal length of a pitch deck? You know, what is that? What is too short? What is too long? What's the the Goldilocks zone in there for a pitch deck? Uh, it will depend a little bit on what you're delivering. So if you're looking for uh, a publishing deal for like a, a, a MOBA or uh, an MMO, something big and expansive, you can't get it done in you know a dozen slides. Most games I see and most publishers uh, who who sort of operate in the brackets of maybe zero to two million pounds two million dollars uh whatever you can probably get it across in about a dozen slides maybe 15 slides and really if you think about what it is you're you're, you're talking about you know your intro slide nice piece of artwork and then you've got to overview your game then you want to do your budget in one slide your production timelines and your deliverables your usps um some maybe maybe a bit of um benchmarking some so look at the um the marketplace and who are your biggest competitors in terms of the, the genre and also your scale of development budget uh, and then there's there's a few other bits you can you can um, start to uh, lean into but really the more you put in there the the more you risk losing someone so you're if you're asking them to read 30 slides before they fully understand your game you're going to struggle but if you can get those the first half a dozen slides you're going to say like I need four hundred thousand pounds to deliver a, 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 an FPS horror game in Q4 2024 on these platforms, and you know, here's the trailer. If you can get that up in in a couple of slides at the beginning, then and you know, I I know that kind of that game fits with my portfolio. You're going to get me clicking on additional link materials or coming back to you with emails going, "That's cool." Like. Can I have a pitch? Can I have uh, uh, more materials? Can I have a build? Can we have a call? You have to you have to to distill it down into its into its best points and hope that that moment grabs that person because you 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 can't do it a second time. You have to assume that every time that you send out a pitch deck, that's the one and only time you will ever get to talk to that person because they won't come back to it a second time. If it doesn't grab them, they're not going to share it around another dozen people in the office. The, the first point of contact that you get with someone is usually the the, the first hurdle and if you trip at that because it's too long or it's missing details or, or whatever there's, there's really that's really going to stop you at that publisher and you have to you have to to kind of be confident in what you've got and you have to be concise so a lot of the teams especially that we see on the server as they're just coming into the industry or now i mean given the level of layoffs, you know, what we typically see when we have this many layoffs is developers starting their own studios up and things yep. like that. How upfront do they need to be if they don't have a track record of, you know, two or three games? If maybe this is their first game, is that something that they need to draw attention to? Is that something they need to shy away from? I mean, what's the, how should they handle the fact that this is new for them? It will always come out in the wash, I will say. Anything that, so it doesn't matter how good your idea is, at some point, a publisher will say, yeah, that's that's a cool idea, that's a good pitch deck. Those numbers, those timelines, whatever, they they work, we have a slot. Um, and you'll you'll go, doesn't matter what the process is internally, what the stages are, how, what hoops they make you jump through, at some point, you're going to have to do a due diligence process, right? And that means every single person in your team will, go under a microscope and they'll have to be interviewed they'll talk about experience and knowledge and skill set and stuff so if this is your first time as a as a as a team 
working together, then you know this is our we're a newly formed studio of of, of long term friends or something. If you have shipped games before at another company, you know X developer has gone bust, five hundred people out, and you're a core team of four or five best friends who shipped six games together. That is absolutely a huge selling point. Absolutely, because it tells me that if I give you money, you're hopefully you're going to know what to do with it. But mostly that when you're when hopefully hopefully it tells me that when I put you guys in a room together and I fund you, I'm not worrying as much as at the 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 person the interpersonal dynamics. I'm not worrying whether you as a team can communicate and and can kind of put work before personal stuff or, or whatever like you've done this before so if you have experience as a team brilliant second most important is have you individually shipped games have you got experience in the industry if you have again talk about that it doesn't have to be slides upon slides just you know this is this is me this is my experience this is jay this is his experience and stuff one slide's enough if you are completely new to the industry it is not an absolute stopper but if you say look this is my first game i'm learning you, you know, you have to be upfront about that. Um, and if you're at that stage where you're doing it for the first time, you're learning, it's all new to you. Uh, my first tip would probably be uh, lean on the strength of the product rather than your ambition. Uh, because if you don't have a big catalog of, of games to, to lean on and say, this is my experience, you're a very risky investment. Um, so, so kind of consider, put yourself in someone else's shoes and, and say, why would someone want to give me this money? And ask yourself that. And it's not impossible, you know, the first timers get funded and they get supported all the time. Um, great example is uh, Plate Up, uh, Yogscast publishing label. Um, the, the guy who made that, he had never made games before and made it in lockdown. And uh, if anyone's curious about a first time developer, go Google Plate Up revenue first year because the guy made a lot of money and his first game knocked it out of the park it, it can happen and it does happen so don't be discouraged if you don't have a, a huge uh credit list i've made a 20 plus year career out of working with first-time studios so i know it can be done but yeah you have to can be, be done. can be done you just have to be upfront about it and that's one of the things yeah. that we typically tell developers is you know the first question that a publisher wants asked isn't is this fun is this going to make money it's is this going to get done is yes because if it doesn't and, and on time ish yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't matter you know it doesn't matter how fun the game is if you actually never ship it um so yeah it is good the the next one that we get is it's a, it's a little harder and quite frankly it's like the reason that we do these shows you know developers that aren't great at the budgets and the production timelines and you know getting all of this information together that we need to see when we're looking at it from a publisher or an investor point of view, where, what do they do in that sort of situation? If they're not great at putting together the numbers in the production and they don't really know how long it's going to take and how much money it's going to take, what, what do they do to start? Yeah, I'll be honest. If you're not great at numbers um, and you're just a guy who's, uh, or girl, if you're a person who's just brilliant at sitting there and and making stuff in, in Unity or Unreal, whatever, um, if you're just a creative and you kind of want to do this by yourself, the difficult answer, I'm afraid, is you're going to have to get good at it. You're going to have to bash your head against a brick wall until you learn maths, uh, until you learn uh, Excel and a bunch of other really inane, boring stuff. Um, your publisher, if you get one and are lucky enough, 
hopefully they will be brilliant they will guide you through everything they they should have internal production resource that can look at your milestone deliveries and say look that's not reasonable or that's not properly calculated and stuff but you you need to be able at the very very least to go okay here's everyone on my team here's roughly what they're going to need here's roughly how much they cost each month you're going to have to learn how to calculate salaries and tax and i mean you don't have to get good at doing things like tax credits and r d applications all that sort of stuff that's 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 fine you have to be able to show me on a on a rough excel sheet even if it's just a few lines and a few cells um that you can just add up a basic salary and you can tell me look milestone one costs roughly this much milestone two costs roughly this much my job is to go through and pick that all apart and work with you you're gonna have to learn how to do it um one of the things that i think surprises a lot of first-time developers um especially small teams maybe two to five six people is um there is usually one person who gets saddled with the business stuff it's usually the person who is left to talk to to me and there's always one person who's delivering most of the the pitch deck and most of the negotiations and stuff i'm sorry but if you're the person who's up front and in the the, the pitch process if you're the one who's talking the most spoiler alert you're probably the one who's going to have to get really good at excel and you're probably going to be the one who's dealing with a lot of really boring admin um because you're trying to start a business and uh people like me our job is to help make that as seamless as possible and to catch the mistakes that you make but we won't always you know you have to come to us and show some willingness to learn level of understanding of the fundamentals of of business and and the industry um i would love to be able to find everyone who comes up to me with the name of a game written on a napkin um true story someone did come up with the name of a game on a napkin at a, a at a big show it was a piece of paper actually and um gave it to my boss and asked for a million dollars for a name on a piece of paper i would love i would love to be able to do that and to fund you but did they my, get it no i ah. mean we Oh, so I know. I felt so bad. So close. Felt That's... so bad. Um, but it was it, it was a weird moment. Um, <laughs> you 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 have to. I know it's really boring, and you just want to go off and make cool stuff. And you could have the best, most interesting, coolest pitch de uh, pitch deck and 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 concept or vertical slice or demo to go with it. Um, but if you can't do any of the other stuff, you know you're really going to struggle. Not just not just pitching this game, but doing your second game, your third game, your fourth game, you know, because nobody wants to just make one game and and stop, right? Everyone I meet wants to make a career of what they're doing. And if you're going to make a career and you're going to be at the top and you're trying to do your own thing, you, you have to consider that there's more to this than, than kind of what you're probably currently doing and it's um it's it's difficult for a lot of people there's a there's a we'll talk a little bit later um i sort of mentioned about transferable skills between pitching and self-publishing um because there's there's tons of crossover and i think people forget that but yeah you you have to be willing to learn and you have to at least try i mean try get it wrong i'm probably going to point something out which is wrong anyway most budgets and most timelines it's just my job to be really annoying like that um but you have to at least try you have to you have to start somewhere um and there are loads of resources out there um there are so many good websites um and so many good learning resources and so many 
um, successful developers have over time put their own things like pitch decks and budgets and timelines and, and templates and stuff. You can just Google them. They're, they're, there's loads out there and you will learn. If you don't know, um, go out, watch talks from the GDC vault and, and other events and stuff like that. Um, just, just, just get on Google and look, but you can't, you can't, uh, hope that someone else will take you through this and just be okay with it. You have to, you have to really try and you have to be engaged. You have to kind of chase that thing if you want it. Yeah. And, and I see, sorry, so those of you listening on the discord got to hear me telling my dog, go lay down because now she's up and wandering around. Um, I I'm, see these developers and they pitch and I'm like, you go through the pitch deck and it's like, well, where's the budget? And I'm like, well, we don't really know how much it's going to cost. And I'm like, well, you go into a publisher and say that and you just killed it right there. Because I mean, that's like one of the most basic things. If you can't figure out how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost to make this game, then how can I trust you with the ongoing production of it down the road? So it is stuff. And, you know, we've got resources here, but it does, like you said, you don't have to make some massive multi-tab Excel. It's just yeah, basic parts going through there. All right, so I'm going to ask you the next question, and then I'm going to mute while I let the dog out into the snowstorm. Um, would you agree that ha this is from Flying Mohawk on the Discord? Would you agree that having a project manager ASAP for your game should be a top priority person to have on the team? Uh, I well, uh, how long was a piece of string, right? Um, Yes, generally, you someone someone who can plan out all of your milestones and allocate company resource, especially funding as well, um, and who can get you working to tight deadlines is is very very important. Um, not all teams have the knowledge and experience. Like a good project manager typically has a lot of experience, and sometimes it can be really difficult to find the right person and to find the right fit. Um, yeah, good role, um, difficult role to fill though, because what you're asking is you're asking for someone to come in and to be able to effectively sort of run a project. You know, you've got your game director or your, your studio lead or whatever. You're asking someone, a second person to come in and, and, and um, be really quite stringent in, in what are you doing and where are you allocating resource? So it's not a, it's not a, a job that you can just give to anyone. Um, so yes, have it if you can get it. And if you can get someone, try to get someone with experience because it's it's really hard to make games as it is. Everything will go wrong. Um, and having a project manager with experience is very, very hard because they are, they're quite sought after roles. Like people who can keep a, an entire game on track, they're like gold dust. <laughs> they are, like I, hen's, hen's teeth as, uh, as my man would say. It, it, in, in one of my previous roles, I was a producer and an executive producer, and I am very upfront of I never want to go back to doing that shit again. No, I mean, it, no. We we have some of the best, and I, I love our production team, but no, that that's a whole skill set that I don't want to do anymore. Yeah. So next one from Eli on the Discord. How would the pitch deck vary between what you pitch to a game publisher versus an equity investor? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, I like that. Um, so right now, the, the answer is you're probably going to find far less, far fewer equity investors anyway. Um, just as a general aside thing, VC investments at both studio and project level have dropped to well before 2019 levels. So what we saw is there was a kind of an average gentle uptick that went with the, the growth of the industry. And then lockdown happened, right? Everything went like that. So money into the industry went up 
revenue went up. Everyone thought the good times were going to last forever. And 2023 happened. 2024 <laughs> is happening, right? Uh, investment, uh, equity-based equi equity based deals, um, both uh, sort of pre-seed, seed, series A, beyond uh, angel, they're all down massively. So um, don't expect to be able to find a lot of equity-based deals at the moment on either a studio or a, a project level. Um, to your question, there isn't an enormous uh, difference between them. They're both basically kind of doing the same thing. They're saying, here is a product, here is the market for it, and here is the journey. Um, one thing that you'll probably want to do is understand um, what are you, where are your lines in the sand? So when you're dealing with a, a VC or an equity-based investor, they're going to want something different than a publisher. Like a publisher will want a five-year term length and an option on consoles and all this sort of stuff. A VC is in it for a much longer period. They own a percentage of your company, right? And they're there forever. They're there until they dilute down. They're there until they earn out, sometimes depending on the deals and stuff. So the the, the offer is, is very, very different. Um, and you need to show a much deeper level of understanding of how to run a business with a, an equity-based deal because they're buying the studio they're actually taking a percentage of of you rather than just a publisher comes in on on a on a, on a, um, a short term like maybe a three to five year term length so um if you're going to do an equity based deal either for the studio or for the the, the, the project with like a, an angel or something you want to be able to show uh, a different set of things like upfront you want to be able to show things like um your uh, cap table if you have one um for your founders and how your business is actually structured and what you're offering that means putting a valuation on your company and your brand like it's a much much harder deal um in essence you're still trying to sell something to someone and promising them a bunch of money in return but um just be prepared for a much 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 more rigorous deep dive into you uh, rather than the product. So the publisher wants the game and you're kind of a, a good to have. The equity-based deal, the, the, the angel investor, the seed investor, whatever, the, the, the VC, whatever level you're going for, they're looking for something a bit different, like a much more stringent level of, of, of um, just just like much more detail they just want to know much more about you and 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 uh, and, and and how they can um uh recoup on on their money so it's, it's kind of lots of similarities but just one's much harder much much harder the other thing to keep in mind too is whether or not you're pitching to a, a vc or an investor that is actually familiar with the industry because yes not, great, great great point yeah you're gonna have to put a bunch of market shit in there as well this yes how much video games make all those mm. slides that i just go click 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 yes i know this um, yeah that's funny I, the, the one thing i will say about is i see this a lot of people talking about the um the total addressable market if you see a, an acronym tam right total addressable market and it's um it's it's this really misleading number and it's why we're actually in was why we're having a lot of trouble now right so 2019 2018 2019 the as i kind of talked about this this investment cycle both internal investment and external investment so people who are very good at investing into games and people who are not very good they're kind of they're, they're gently growing lockdown happens everything spikes right everything goes up enormously and now what we're seeing is the funds are drying up 
we're seeing a lot of studios that are let go. We're seeing a lot of um, limit LPs, uh, LPs and GPs exit VC funds, uh, firms and funds drying up. So when I was out at Nordic Game Conference last year, so it's about mid mid last year, sort of June-ish last year, I noticed that from that point on, for the rest of the year, I was seeing more games re-enter the market, having been let go by their funding partners, publishers and VCs. So um, you can talk to uh, experienced investors and inexperienced investors, and you can throw all the numbers around in the world. Um, they're both looking for very, very different things and they'll both respond very differently and stuff, but you, you have to, you have to really um, be focused on on the sell. And um, I think the one thing that people forget sometimes when they're getting external money is uh, a VC isn't just giving you a big sack of money. They should actually be opening doors for you. So they should be providing uh, support and experience and advice. And um, I know it's really tempting to take money from someone who maybe made millions in, I don't know, pharmaceuticals, whatever, and now they fancy doing this. Uh, are you looking for a publisher for your game well we have something special just for you it's the most comprehensive listing of pc console and mobile publishers in the industry over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites you can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list. And you can get it for free. Check it out. You're giving away a chunk of your money and uh, a chunk of your company and the ability to run your company to someone who may know nothing about it and they may want to waste all your time asking really basic questions like hey i heard of this thing called an nft yeah. should we do it should we do it nfts yes absolutely yeah? absolutely um so when you're taking money um be careful well and the other you know big thing that has come out especially in the last six months six to 12 months is and there was an article one of the takeaways from the big gdc survey <laughs> oh yeah the, the results came out of that yeah the, the, the state of the state well of the the, one of the articles that somebody wrote was like according to the gdc developers are worried about getting laid off to which i like reposted that with no shit seriously did you need a survey to figure that out but you know i had multiple teams at gamescom come to me and who had been bought up by you know unnamed conglomerate and they said if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it because when you do that, you lose control of your company and you see all of that, all the embracer based layoffs that we've seen. And yeah. it comes down to, you know, would that company have been fine? Would they be doing those layoffs if they weren't part of that big company? Maybe, but maybe not, you know? And, and so one of the big, you know, takeaways that I got from a friend of mine, you know, when someone asked him, you know, what should you be thinking about when you, you know, start pitching VCs? And he's like, you need to be thinking if you really need that money, because if you don't, then, you know, you're basically, you're setting yourself up for, you know, all this mess that we've seen. 
and so yeah, yeah. And, and scope as well. Scope as well is another thing I will say when it comes to VCs. So if you're, um, so there's, there's kind of two areas of, of uh, so put aside publisher funding for a second. We're talking about pure funding, equity-based funding, right? You, you're typically going to go for either an angel or a, a VC, right? And they want very, very different things and they're willing to accept different levels of risk. And when I was out at Nordic and all the other shows I was doing last year and I was seeing all these games come back onto the market, having been let go by, um, mostly by equity-based investors or um, larger conglomerates who buy up lots of studios who will remain unnamed. Who will remain unnamed, yes. Unnamed. Um, he who shall not be named. Um, the one thing I was uh, seeing... Um, hold on. Oh, I'm so dry in here. Uh, yeah, sorry. The one thing I was seeing was that they were, um, they were coming to the table and saying, look, I, I originally had this idea for a 2 million dollar game i pitched it out it was well received and suddenly i was asked to increase the scope to six million i got given i got promised six million dollars it it was a dream come true i scaled up i hired more people i added 50 percent to the the game you know i hired another dozen artists i i added eight levels whatever and stuff and 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 then i got let go oh. i got cut off and i was I, you know of 10 milestones i was halfway through milestone four which is not to beta there's not a saleable product there and i'm now back on the market not only am i back on the market but i'm back on the market with an agreement that when i do sign another deal i'm going to pay back that initial investment on a six million dollar game in a difficult market so should have been a two million dollar game which should have been a two million dollar game so i saw so many people last year back on the market going oh, i really wanted two million three million you know this real comfort market this this comfort point that that a lot of good tier publishers can kind of sit at and they can make a few of those a year and they're saying i was asked to, to upgrade to to, to 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 boost my numbers you know or to, to boost the the size of the game and the studio to, to accommodate like a six million budget or an eight million or a ten million dollar budget and now i'm back on the market and nobody's funding a ten million dollar project i have to descope. i have to let go of loads of my team uh and it, it, that was that was probably one of the most surprising parts i think for me of 2023 the sheer number of titles who got funded got let go and then had to rapidly descope. are you Very familiar with the technical term for what happens the situation that you're in when you have to scale up like that and then you get let go and you have to downscale and still pay back the upscale situation it's called fucked. That's what it is. That's, <laughs> I was thinking he's got, there's a really clever term here and I'm going to look stupid for not knowing the industry term. It's probably, yes. oh man, I'd be so fucked if I was in that situation. Yes. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Uh, there you go. Yeah. It's um, yeah. So what I did see was I saw a lot of people um, put their life savings into doing a, a MBOs and management buyout. So you, you, you basically use all the money you've got left to, to kind of force that equity-based investor out or to dilute them down and um and then it means you're free to to kind of go off and get new investment and that person's not going to be taking a big chunk of your revenue you've just got an agreement to pay back an existing loan uh which is very rare but worked out quite well for some of those studios but um it's a very very difficult thing to go through i mean you start with five maybe ten people you land investment and suddenly you're you're not five seven ten people you're 30 people and then you're let go and you're responsible for 29 people uh, i mean 
it's a, a difficult thing you know when you're asked to scale up like that i think a lot of people the industry cyclical right like we all yeah. see the same things happen every five ten years i think a lot of people are going to have learned from this cycle if it happens again and there's another big uptake in, in investment in say five seven years whatever i think you've got an entire generation of of people in the industry now who have been royally screwed mm -hmm. and it's it's ruins their entire careers by scoping up and then that back down again i think um i think a lot of people are going to be really reticent to, to to do that again i think it's very very much changed people's perceptions of funding and development and deliverables dan we need to do a, a whole episode on why you should not get investment <laughs> All right. So, um, leaning us back to, to, to pitch decks and, and yes. pitching in general, what are your thoughts on a studio taking a blended approach of using internal and external resources to develop their game? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I guess it depends what your external resources, like most studios can't handle things like QA and localization internally. You at some point in your development process, you're almost certainly going to outsource something yeah absolutely if you can every person that you're not hiring and bringing on board is a person who's not you're not paying their salary and their benefits and their bonuses and pensions and all that sort of stuff like if you can outsource something for a fixed fee and you can say i know it's you know i've got a contract with someone an external person and they're going to deliver me whatever they're going to do they're going to do all my qa for for ten thousand dollars and they're going to have it on this day if they slip then with a service-based provider, you can say, hold on, let's, let's discuss. I should have some sort of discount here. I should have some money back. You should make it up to me in some way. If your team internally, if you scale up to be able to do absolutely everything and they screw up, it'll happen anyway, but you have less recourse. So yeah, if you can outsource stuff, do it. Like there's absolutely no problem with it. As long as you're, the, the, the only thing you need to be mindful of is who are you outsourcing route the, who's the outsourcing partner what are you sending out and hoping to get back like is it just a random person who messaged you on like, i see this loads of times oh i'm i'm going to have someone write my script for my game i met them on discord I'm like <laughs> who, who are they oh they're it's just rick. they're just rick's they're, gonna do it yeah. yeah it's like rick rick's been following my discord for like two years and he really likes the game and he played my beta i said has rick made a game before has he written a game has he what does he write like what has he done nothing but he's really keen don't outsource <laughs> that bit then don't 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 ask someone to do that um yeah external resourcing external partners co-development whatever art outsourcing um uh mocap all that sort of stuff you you can't do everything yourself you just can't just just do your due diligence on who you're working with and understand uh have a contract have an agreement put it down in writing and make sure that there are clauses in there about uh failure to delivery and making sure that you own whatever they create because otherwise, oh that's a whole other oh there we go yeah, oh you've aimed for the word there because Can you're not words. using you, you know you fire him because he sucks and then you know six months down the line he's going to sue you because you might have used an idea that he may or may not have articulated in his shitty little script 
Don't uh, work with Rick. That's basically what we're saying. <laughs> Paul, Rick, look, Rick, if you're out there, we love you, really. I know we're shitting on you and stuff, but we wish you the best at your next adventure. Well, yeah. Just stop writing scripts, okay? Just stop writing just, yeah, just, just get out of my games. Stop, stop working on my part. My nightmare, there's going to be a, a narrative designer named Rick listening to this and go, the fuck, guys? <laughs> <laughs> this is not subliminal. I don't think I've ever worked with a Rick who, who's, who, who, who works in narrative uh, development. So um, I hope this is all on you, Jay, by the way. This is where we need that disclaimer that you see on TV shows. It's like, all people are, are fictional. Mm -hmm. These are not, we're not referring to real people. Uh, <laughs> I, I would like to think people learn from the industry, but people still seem to try to make MMOs. Uh, yeah. MMOs aren't going away ever. They're, they're, they're just not. Because when they hit, and so few of them do hit and last, right? When they hit, they make disgusting money. It's basically having a license, a, a, a money printing factory. See, in the we can get into a whole other discussion about this. It's like, what you got to define an MMO is an MMO. Me, I'm old. MMO is World of Warcraft. But yeah. technically, Genshin Impact is an MMO. But you're not really because it's only it's so fucking weird i don't see that many subscription-based mmos pitched anymore i do see them so they're still being pitched but yep. not as many most of them are like games of service and you know there's the the old guy in me that misses i'll pay you 12 dollars a month to you know give me a, a good a good experience so I mean, um, they're they're expensive to make. I mean, if you're oh going God, to yeah. if you're if you're going to make one, and, and I think you and I are kind of on the same level here of what an MMO is, right? Let's let's not take in the sort of the fractured sub genre of of MMO, MMO light, whatever. Um, if you're going to do it, you're looking at ten years of development, and that's that's not. That's what I'm the team. I'm, yeah, and it's not like I'm. It's not like I'm making a game in two years. I'm selling it. I'm going to support it for ten years, for eight years. Like I'm talking. You're probably going to be making this before you can sell it and make any money back for ten years. So if you can't stomach the idea of funding something, you can't afford to fund something for a decade. Don't do it. Make it something. And else. hoping that it works. You know. Oh then, yeah. Yes. So from Trey over Trezzy on Discord, what are the absolute bare minimum bits of info that you're looking for in a pitch deck? I mean, we're assuming budget, time frame, elevator pitch, genre, platform. Yes, absolutely. Aside so I need, that. I so I need to know what you're going to to deliver. I need to know about the game. So that's generally really the the easiest way to get that across is embed a trailer doesn't have to be really long doesn't have to be an hour long of, of capture if i can see it brilliant i need to know how much it's going to cost me to deliver and on what platforms this is a, a personal bugbear of mine and i hate it so much i see so many pitch decks i open them and it says i want a million dollars and i'm going to give you a game on pc and console and you get down and you do the talks and they're like oh yeah it's a million dollars for the pc i think it would be great on console i think this will work on console there's an audience on console and i'm like okay you don't want 1 million you want 1.2 million right because you need 200 grand to find a porting partner to to do that that's a bugbear i'm just going to i'm going to i'm going to moan about something right i'm going to moan developers don't do that it really annoys me um, if you're asking for a specific amount of money for a specific platform that's what you're asking for if you want a porting partner, ask for a porting partner. So tell me what you're making. Tell me how much it's going to cost. Tell me when it's going to come out. And that's basically it. Like all the other stuff, who are you, your team, the marketplace. Um, that's, that's, that's a bit of flavor. It should be in there. 
in the earlier stage because you're trying to set the scene you, if you're trying to tell me that you know i'm making a horror game i'm going to make a first person horror game it's going to be like iron lung or something whatever tell me a little bit about the marketplace tell me a bit about the the audience and stuff um that that really helps set the scene um but yeah i i the, the most important thing is i need to be able to see the game running if you can i need to know how much i'm going to invest in you as a team and where it's going so don't don't just say a million pounds like a million i keep saying pounds when i should probably say dollars um if you can show me some sort of breakdown so if it's like probably at least 60 65 percent core development and then it's 15 percent maybe qa localization uh porting all that sort of stuff if you can break that down a little bit that's important as well and that that helps me and then if you in your timeline if you can show me your your milestones and your key deliverables like core developments like pre-prototyping uh core development uh alpha beta uh ea model or ea uh potential and then 1.0 if you can show that, then then that's a brilliant. You can usually get that onto one page, just a little graph on Excel sheet. If you can do that, that's perfect. That will show me everything. Um, and it's not just because I need to know how long it's going to take to make the game. It's because publishers need to know about available slots. So publishers will have finite levels of resource. They've got staffing to consider. Um, they've got submission timelines to consider, and they've got uh, and your marketing budgets and stuff to consider as well. So if you're pitching someone a brilliant game and in Q3, but they've got absolutely Q3 is completely rammed and they can't do anything in Q3, they, they, they may pass on you for the sake of convenience. So tell them everything about when you're going to deliver the game as well. And, you know, again, be upfront about it. All right. How much time do you have? Because we're going to go over and I want to be sensitive to that, but I want to make sure we've got at least two more questions that I want to get through. Freeze free, free All right. So next one up. How would you decide that a budget for a pitch deck is too low or too high or just right? Would you rather see a higher level budget in the pitch deck or a detailed breakdown upon interest in the product? Uh, no, you have to be upfront about your total ask because every publisher has a bracket. They have a, 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 a ceiling that they can operate to. And I have seen fantastic games. Uh, truly, you, you sit there, jaw on the floor, um, and you just fall in love. And then they go, I want six million. And I'm like, well, I, I cannot afford that. I just cannot. Now, if I'm a publisher who's working, say, to a million dollar development budget, and a half million dollar marketing and services budget for 1.5 million all in. If you come to me and you're like 2 million, if you're ever so slightly over, I might be able to find extra money or talk to secondary investors and stuff. But like, you can't just show me a cool game, hope I buy into it and then tell me later it's gonna cost 10 million. You have to put that, that ask, that has to be front and center because that's the most important thing. If I can't afford it, I can't give you the time because there's literally hundreds of games pitching every day. I can't give you the time of, of sitting there and going through pitch decks and then going through having calls with you and seeing additional materials. If I if it's five times my budget, there's nothing I can do. You have to be upfront about that. That's like the most important thing. Have a, have a good game. But you have to tell me how much it's going to cost. You have to. The, the reality is, from the developer standpoint, you can't. Th there's no such thing as the perfect number. Every I mean, we track what's our publisher list up to 500 and some publishers this time around, everybody's got a different range. 
if yeah. you your budget and they've changed is... and everybody's numbers change as well i guarantee you in the last 12 months six 12 months everyone's <laughs> numbers gone down nobody you... is spending more yeah yeah exactly so i mean if you have a two hundred thousand dollar game there is a set number of publishers that's going to appeal to it's going to be too low for some it's going to be too high for some if you have a six million dollar project the same goes true so your budget needs to be what it's going to cost to legitimately get your game out the door there's not yeah. like a really there's and and here's my bug but here's the thing that absolute pisses me off when i hear it don't let somebody tell you that you can only pitch x amount of dollars for your budget because you're a first-time studio because that's a load of shit that is if you if you're a first-time studio and your game is worth three million dollars pitch a three million dollar game i mean is it going to be harder yes but that doesn't mean no one's going to look at it and go, oh, well, I really like this, but it's eight hundred thousand dollars. And you're a first time studio, so I'm only going to give you five hundred. Any publisher that does that is is basically a dick in the first place. So anyway, yeah. um, I mean, I will say I will say that to kind of sort of counter it from the side of the publisher. So when a publisher gets hold of your budget, the first thing they'll do is they'll they'll look at all the details. They'll look at what are you spending on core development and then what are you outsourcing what's service-based have you folded in your marketing costs another thing i hate um because you're telling me how much to spend on marketing and you're telling me how to market your game um but we will go down and we will go into the absolute granular level and we will look at every single person's paycheck for every single month what you're proposing now if you're living in san francisco and you're an experienced developer and you're asking for say ten thousand dollars a month I will understand that if you are living in, uh, you know, if you're living in Poland and you are a, 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 I don't know, you work in a call center and you're making games in your spare time and this is your first project and you're also asking for ten thousand dollars a month, I'm going to say no, right? Be reasonable and think, what do I actually need? Because budgets, when it comes to budget, uh, game development budgets, between fifty to seventy-five percent of all game development budgets are just pure staffing costs they're just salaries that's most of what everything is taking out server costs and and mocap and all these other big things that some studios have and stuff um and vo and everything the the, the biggest single expense is is development costs and if you're asking for an outrageous salary because you think everyone wants to invest in games and you can make some easy money you're probably going to get a lot of no's like i do honestly i do i do i get last year i got so many pitch decks from people going you know i work in a call center or whatever i work yeah, i work in insurance and i make like two thousand pounds a month whatever but i'm asking and expecting a salary of like six thousand pounds i'm like well, why am i paying for someone with no experience which is a big gamble why am i going to significantly increase their cost of living for them to do something they haven't done before so think about when you're asking for your funding asks, what's reasonable, what do I need to live? If you need 800 pounds to live a month, don't ask for 500 pounds, you know, ask for a thousand pounds, whatever. Make um, sure you're ask, paying ask yourself you're a used wage. Yeah, yeah, live, live, live. Um, because, you know, we'll negotiate on costs. Like just because you ask for a million pounds doesn't mean you're going to get a million pounds. I might say, you know, we'll move things around or you don't need to spend that much on qa and localization or whatever or your salary costs are kind of high we need to just some some more reasonable expectations right and the number of people who who go i want ten thousand pounds a month and suddenly they're okay with three thousand pounds a month you're like okay that's that's interesting um so so expect some haggling we will haggle we just won't be we, sh we just won't be mean about it 
don't don't sign with someone who's mean about money. <laughs> yes, be reasonable. be reasonable. But the default answer is not going to be I'm not paying you because you've never done this before. <laughs> it's not. It shouldn't be that. Don't sign with someone yeah. like that. All right. So from Rosemary on the Discord, how likely are publishers to re-enter negotiations with a studio after they get to the negotiation phase, but a mutual agreement couldn't be reached? What factors influence the publisher being able, being willing to consider your studio again? That's a very good and very precise question. Very detailed. I feel like you've, I feel like Rosemary, I feel like you've been through this. Yes, I, I think there's a story behind this. Yes. There's definitely a story. I, I want to hear that story. That's another episode. Um, if a publisher passes on you, be brutally honest the chances are they're not coming back to the table um if they pass because the funding ask is too high the timeline um doesn't work that it well if it's a genre fit whatever then they're just not coming back to the table if you asked for a lot of money because you want security if you ask for something like a, a an mg which is a, a, a minimum guarantee so a minimum guarantee on sales and the publisher pays 50,000 sales and guarantees those in a, in a contract. So you're kind of getting paid or, or whatever. If you're, if you're asking for, for stuff and the, the agreement can't be reached because of a financial thing, it's, it's going to be hard. Like, unless you come back to the table and you say, I'm willing to take less, or I'm willing to renegotiate a number, you're probably not going to come back to the, your table. If they say no, because it's a timeline fit, if it's a genre fit, something like that, that's very very hard like there are so many reasons people say no um and i will say when you why are you going back to that publisher as well is a question i would ask myself um if they've said no do you really want to go back to them like are they the last publisher out there do you need to like just because they might have been the one who's most keen they still said no there are other publishers out there like i say keep looking um because what you're probably doing is you're coming back to the table uh, uh, and you don't have that position of strength to negotiate, you're kind of coming back like Oliver Twist, please, sir, I want some more. Um, and they're going to give you what they want rather than the kind of more equitable discussions that probably happened before. So, yeah, with every negotiation, I would say understand the line in the sand, like what's the minimum number needed to get by every month? What's your your living costs and what's your expectation for a good livable wage that doesn't see you driving Uber at night? And if you're willing to go over that line you have to step back and say this is a problem because you shouldn't uh you shouldn't jeopardize your health and your sanity and your your sort of well-being for the sake of of getting a deal that isn't going to be very equitable and isn't going to support you the way you need it to anyway so be really careful about coming back to the table and renegotiating and and putting yourself in a, a weaker position and being desperate don't don't ever be desperate when you're negotiating yeah i mean there, there's multiple things that could happen wrong there. I mean, if you go in and you're willing to slash your budget, are you actually going to be able to finish the game? Is it going to be the same level of quality? The times that we've seen it happen, you know, especially with the scouting that we do for publishers and, and for investors is when another deal that publisher has fell through or a game is slipping and all of a sudden they're going to need something for Q4 2024 in a hurry they'll go back through you know their list and go okay here's some games that almost made the cut but they didn't for whatever particular reason but yeah like chris said it's very rare. it's the exception not the rule definitely yeah. i mean yeah and i and i would again the line in the sand no 
where you can and can't live um because nobody should nobody should ever take a deal that that you know has you working two jobs has you dipping into savings putting your 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 rent on your credit card or whatever and stuff like that like this industry is great and brilliant but nothing's worth your your health and your sanity so if you can't get a deal um don't don't ruin yourself trying to get one later all right rosemary has a lot of follow-ups <laughs> and, and i'm going to let rosemary we're going to get that on the discord because we're already over <laughs> but yes we're, we're, we will address all, all of this so good question for the publisher here at a high level from thomas on, on youtube what is the marketing participation of the publisher on the launch strategy what are the base things that you should be expecting that publisher to do it really does depend so um some publishers will insist on doing everything. They, 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 they will be in charge of absolutely every element of the brand from the day that they sign to the day that the term sheet expires, which is somewhere between sort of three to five years, some are 10, some are in perpetuity. Um, they will be in charge of everything and you will have no say. Personally, I, I like having my development partners to be uh, very inclusive and to, to be aware. So when we finish and we go through a green light process, we present a G2M to them, a full go-to-market plan, and we get their feedback. And I think that's quite important. Um, but what should a publisher do? So a publisher probably will um, take your game and they will run through all of the costs, all of the production timelines. They will work out all of the, the deliverable points of things like when are we going to get a game? When can we do all the service-based stuff like QA and localization? When can we do the age ratings and the submissions? When can we get store pages live? When can we start harvesting wish lists? What they really should do is they should give you a timeline. They should tell you everything that they're planning to do. That covers you right from the, the day of signing to day of announce to day of release and beyond. Um, and they should engage with you a little bit. And they will then ask you to provide things like uh, uh, capture builds to make trailers, to get uh, social content and stuff. So they will ask you for a series of deliverables, which will support the assets that they've got to use for the, the marketing. So uh, trailers, screenshots, um, builds so that they can do uh, like media briefing documents, guides and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, they should handle absolutely everything. They should liaise with your partners. They should work with storefronts. Um, they should do any brand partnerships or licensing deals that you might kind of be applicable and stuff. They should basically do everything. Their job, the role of a publisher is to, to take a lump of clay and to mold it into something useful for joe public right they want to turn this lump of clay into a bowl so you've got an idea for a cool fps their job is to say cool here's an fps that will appeal to this specific target of players and we're going to sell it to them and we're going to make all our money back like their job is to craft a message that is consistent throughout the whole campaign that works and supports all of your deliverable timelines like your, your alpha your beta your 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 1.0 and stuff um and they will continue the whole way through. Um, some developers insist on keeping things like uh, control of Steam pages, control of uh, social channels like Discord and YouTube, um, and the ability to, to talk about their game publicly. Some developers, that's very important. Some publishers insist on having absolutely everything. Um, it really does depend on the deal that you strike. And again, it's like that line in the sand I was saying about uh, what do you want to give away and what do you not want to give away? What can you what are you comfortable with doing? If you spent 
two years building a discord of like 20,000 people who are all really engaged and you suddenly get a publishing deal and the, the publisher wants to come along and be solely in control of that discord are you willing to give that up ask yourself again like where's your line in the sand their job is to sell the game your job is to make the game how do you kind of work together it should be a partnership uh, short answer is no you should not give up a twenty thousand dollars i mean a twenty thousand person discord that's fully engaged in your game that's <laughs> I, i'm sitting that's here behind the scenes going no oh, oh, that's <laughs> why you've got the publishing deal in the first place so they've gone oh wow that's an easy sell there's twenty thousand sales right there well there's more to it than that, having that so but yes that's definitely a negotiating point that you bring to the table yeah. um so from Vitter out on YouTube, how polished do the graphics need to be if you simply have a working prototype or a proof of concept? I, I, graphics to me personally don't matter at all. Um, if you can show me uh, some examples of what the game will obviously look like once it's had a, 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 a more polished pass and you've done, kind of dropped in the art assets, um, great. But the, the most important thing for me is what I call find the fun. So if I can play a game, doesn't matter, big, small, early, late, whatever. Um, I'm always looking for to find the fun. So where's the hook? Where's the thing that's going to make this game a saleable product? Like, is it is it engaging? Do I want to sit down and play it? Do I play it and then I think about it afterwards? Because if I play your game and then I, I'm, I'm still thinking about it the rest of the day, rest of the week, whatever, like I, I want to sign your game. That's the thing. It's for me, and I know some publishers are very insistent on it's got to look brilliant. It's got to be pretty and it's got to be so close to launch. Uh, personally, all I want is I just want workable. I want it to run. I want it to run and I just want to understand the cool concept of it personally. All right. I'll, I'll chime in and say Chris is in the minority in that situation. A lot <laughs> of publishers and it sucks. And I know this, but a lot of publishers want to see something pretty far gone and if it's not and you say look this is what it's going to look like you need to be able to prove that you can actually pull that shit off yeah. um yeah. and the other thing that hamstrings a lot of developers and i hate to see this but i understand why i see this is if you are using unreal you need to make sure that your graphics at the end of the day are going to look like what everybody expects an unreal game to look like because the bar on that engine is so high that if you come in with something, you know, very mediocre looking and you're like, oh, I'm using Unreal, they're going to be like, okay, well, then they can't manage to pull this off. Just well, I mean, that, that partly there's a genre thing there, right? Like if you're making a body cam, which is the, the new craze, right? Which is the kind of the subgenre, which is exploded at the moment. If you're making a body cam horror game, you have to have photorealistic graphics. If you're making a side-scrolling Metroidvania, that just happens. Yes. Bad. Okay, no, I agree. It, 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 there's 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 a thing there like fundamentally the core gameplay experience the saleable product has to be you can make something pretty but vapid and shit to play i i look for i look for the fun and i look for the the the, the sellable products um if you can prove to me that it's going to look good down the line then that that brings me in again as jay said every publisher is completely different mm -hmm. you, you work to different time scales to different budgets to to different platforms whatever even regions you get some publishers who are like china only um and and all sorts of things or horror only whatever the um, the a good example of that is we had snappy on before the holiday break and he's using unreal on you know his third person action game but he's using like a cell shaded cartoony like for a better word genshin look to it and that alleviates the concern so let me rephrase then if you're coming at me with a realistic looking modern day game 
yes. better look ridiculously good. Um, yes. But yes, you're right. It does depend on the genre. It also depends on the art style, but it's something to keep in mind. All right. Um, next one from Thomas from YouTube. Do publishers usually spend money on hardware for the studio? Yes. Yes. So um, if you want to make a game on, uh, uh, I don't know, if you're making a, uh, uh, if you're running on a crappy PC um, and it's unreliable tech, but I love the game and I want to sign the studio. Yeah. I, I know loads of publishers who have invested in studios to help. Uh, help build them. Some of them do it on recoup. They'll they'll say, look, we're going to spend fifty thousand on IT, but we're going to pay everything up front, and then we'll recoup. Some some publishers will just help. Um, a lot of publishers, when it comes to things like uh, console kits, um, uh, dev kits and stuff, and test kits for PlayStation and Xbox, they have they have warehouses of them. They just have you know a hundred whatever, and they'll lease them out to a publish uh, developer development partner and say, look, you're going to work on these three units, and this is what you'll test your ports on and then at the end of your publishing deal you give these back to us so yeah uh, no don't don't ever think that you can't ask for something from a from a, a, a publishing partner like the point of a publishing partner is to get you to the finish line and if you need a new graphics card if you need a new pc if you need a you know whatever put that in the ask i've i've had i've had some outrageous asks i've had people ask me to redecorate their office uh which i was like that's weird. Like, I don't care if your carpets are old. You can kind of just. Well, that's a liability, Chris. If it's old, it's full of mold. If they all get sick and die. Your game's not going to get done. So. Oh, said by someone who lives in a very litigious society. <laughs> no, I'm not paying. For, I'm not paying to to redecorate your office. Uh, what if all my walls um... have like asbestos in them? You don't want me dying. You know. That's... Well, well, well. It's, can you get the game done before? Serious illness. That's the question. What stage um, is your cancer at? <laughs> oh, we went dark there. We went dark. Oh, God. All right. So, last one. And keep in mind, folks, if, if we didn't get to it, then, you know, we can absolutely chat, answer this in the chat. It's just discord.gg slash indie game business. So, Ro Rosemary with, with the story had this big old long post. And, and so now we, we've got it down. I will read it to after the so crux of the I'll, problem. I'll come into Discord. Jay's going to show me where it is. I'll read everything, and I've got Discord. With, I can come in afterwards as well. We, I mean, we, we've got a summary of it. So, yeah. assuming the publisher has issues with the build that you can address as the developer, but they don't come to you with those issues until they've already had their green light meeting and they gave it a stamp no. How do you deal with that situation when the issues that they had were probably very solvable? If they had asked you about it before they went to the green light meeting uh oh that's a really interesting one um the job of someone like me is to be a conduit between you the developer and the the rest of the the publisher like my colleagues so so c-suite my boards the the other investors the, the heads of publishing and production and stuff if they're coming to me and giving me an inkling that hey we love the game but it's it's so buggy or we love the game but it, it would be better if uh, in a first person versus third person perspective i don't know a million things right a good bd person who has spent time working with you and has kind of developed a relationship with you and is is kind of vouching for you internally and has gotten your game to green light and has gone through all the processes and stuff they should have a conversation with you if they know that there's things that it's going to start falling down on minor things addressable things it really is not out of the realm of expectation for for for, for me to pull you aside and say look you know 
people are coming up against this they're butting up against this uh maybe the, the maybe the tutorial is too hard maybe the difficulty spike is off maybe it's just too buggy i don't know there's a, a million things that that can fail on a green light um but the job of someone like me my job is to to find really good games that i believe in take them the whole way through and then to try to make both parties agree at the end of the day like if i'm i'm putting my neck on the line every time i bring a game into the, the company and say give me money right because i'm it's you know i'm saying my professional opinion is we should invest in this if there's small things that i think are addressable it's kind of on me to to deal with you and to talk to you about that and hopefully be the champion um if you get through a green light process and fail i don't know many publishers who just say no i don't know any publishers who say no they should give you a pretty detailed and fairly comprehensive explanation of why um if you get into the end stage and it's just a no, I, I don't know anyone who does that. Everyone I know who, who who does this, they explain stuff in quite in depth and they'll tell you exactly where you fell down. And that's your point to say, I could address that for no money or for an extra month or whatever. Like, yeah, you should, you should get feedback. And if it's something you can address and you can address quickly um, and you can answer all their problems, then yeah, you, you can keep that conversation going people people shouldn't immediately stop talking to you when it's a no there, there there should be some back and forth um again it kind of depends on what what, what you're falling down on if yeah if it's a hard no it's a hard no no matter what you what you're going to come back at a good publisher is going to come to you and say okay here's the concerns that we've got and let you address them and the reality is even if they didn't and they come to you and you go back and say well wait a minute you didn't read this slide or here's what we can do if they're really interested in the game, they'll take another look at it. Yeah, I mean, and that's the difference between a no at the pitch stage and a no at the green light stage. Like green light, so to, to think of what you've got to go to to get to green light, you've got to have pitched, provided all your materials, had uh, bills for internal appraisal for someone like me. We've had to go through all your financials. I'll have had a deep dive on you. You'll have met some of my team. The green light stage will include all levels of due diligence. We'll look at your uh, your, your your business, your corporate entity, your, your uh, structure, your cap tables. Um, we'll check all like trademarks and every registrations. Do you even own your own Twitter channels? Like we'll go through everything. By the time we put all that information, that, that effort in and stuff, if we're falling down on little bits, I mean, little bits from what you're saying, then addressable bits, then yeah, you, you can have that conversation and you should do. And someone should have that conversation with you as well. I'd be surprised if you failing on little bits, nobody talked to you and said, yeah, could we do this? I mean, I've seen games change quite significantly. They're like, oh, we like two of the three core USBs. We don't like this third bit. We kind of want it to have this whatever you know we, we instead of a single player game we want it to be co-op or, or or whatever we want to add in a roguelite element and 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 i've seen games you know get a maybe if and then they get a yes oh wait i was watching i was answering somebody on youtube <laughs> sorry no worries, no, no. and i'm watching that and there's like a little delay and i'm like okay he's still talking i have time um Chris, thank you so much, Matt. This has been an absolutely fantastic, and we've probably come up with two or three other shows that we should have <laughs> as a result of, of this one. Oh, no, um, I had I had I had a blast. And before, there's a really really short thing that I just want to say to to develop. So there's there's two things. So in this market, don't feel bad if you can't get publishing uh, deals or funding. It's really really hard, really really hard, and it's only going to continue to be hard for 2024. So if you're in a position of being able to pay the bills by doing something boring like co-development or continuing to to support a game that exists 
do that for 2024. Don't don't take big risks this year. And the other thing I wanted to say to people who are pitching, especially for the first time, um, if you go through the pitch process and everyone says no, but you love your game and you believe in your game with your heart and soul and you want to self-publish and you're going to fund it yourself, um, please don't overlook the skills and experience that you've gained on the pitching journey because they are very, very transferable into self-publishing. So what you've done is you've, you've, you've built a product, you've identified an audience, you've created your USPs, you've learned how to budget, you've learned how to, uh, to sell uh, and how to, and how to kind of position, right? So if you go, that publisher is better than that publisher, you can kind of understand where your value is in your product and where it fits in a marketplace. I see so many uh, developers who, who do self-publish and then they, they act like they've forgotten all the skills that they learned while they were uh, pitching and while they were talking to people and negotiating really I'm not that different you just have to con to remember that when you're trying to pitch to someone like me it's not that dissimilar to, to pitching to someone who's buying it as a consumer you're still asking someone to buy into your journey so please don't forget the skills and experiences and the lessons that you've learned while doing this and it might hurt to think of this journey where you got 200 no's but it's really relevant and it's really applicable to the journey you're about to go on by self-publishing and self-funding. Um, so, so please don't be disheartened. The industry's in a difficult place this moment. If you go it solo, um, don't forget all the stuff you've learned because it's all, it's all valid. It's all applicable and it's, it's going to help you in the long term If you just think, what have I done? What can I do again and stuff like, please don't forget any of it. That's good. Is that what you tell people after you tell them no? <laughs> no, I say, I say, I say, I say, oh, what are you doing? Get out of my office. Right? Get well, out of here. Get out of here. Because that's a good exit. Like, you know, hey, you learned a lot. Now, yeah, up, well, well, up, I usually, 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 I try to give some. I try to give some feedback. I, I get asked this a lot to give feedback on pitch decks when I say no. And oh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, oh, we uh, have an answer for that. Dan, trouble. where can people get feedback on pitch decks? Well, that depends. No, um, yeah, we have a, <laughs> we have a, a, in in the indie game business Discord, we have these events where you can get feedback on your pitch decks. Every now, Thursday, every these Thursday, guys know what they're doing these guys yeah. know what they're doing. So ask them. So, so if you are watching on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitch, and you're not in the number one, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to make this claim that this Discord is the number one indie gaming developer resource out there. If you can find a resource that's better, private message me and let me know. But there is a bunch of amazing stuff in the Discord, discord.gg slash indie game business. And also there's a link scrolling across the bottom of the screen right there. It's our link tree. And it has all of the links to everything and there's new merch. There's brand new merch, and it's the new Indie Game Business Podcast merch. Yes, we have a new logo for the podcast. Mm -hmm. New merch hype. Yes, I'm, ex I'm excited. Chris, thank you so much. I mean, and obviously, Thanks, yeah, if you could stick around the Discord for folks that might have questions, yeah, anything sure. in the in the publishing subcategory or room on there, that sort of stuff, we would, would greatly appreciate it. To everyone else. Have a wonderful weekend. I'm going to go shovel snow off the steps so I can get back to my house. Um, and then and, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Excellent. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.